This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Top Up. I'm Charlie Clawson. Hang on, what's your name? I'm Will Anderson. But what did you just say your name was? Charlie Clawson. You must it must have been a dropout. I actually said my name perfectly. It must have been a dropout because it said it sounded to me like you said Charlie Clawson. <laughs> yeah, well I've changed it. I was it. just like, I'm fine, absolutely fine with that. Yeah, I respect whatever decisions you want to make about how you identify. Fuck, man. It's a too complicated world to start judging people, but I was like, no, you're right. It probably was just a dropout. It's not really about uh, gender identification. It's just about how I choose to pronounce my name. That is a thing, right? Like a Rafe Fines or... Um, did you, do you remember my mate David Hofflin, um, the actor David? He was on Neighbours for a bit. Swedish. Uh, he's, it's spelt David, but because his parents are Swedish and they pronounce David David, he called himself David. And I believe... Um, uh, our producer Sammy Cav, when he was working on Hamish and Andy, they did a beautiful phone prank where they uh, called him up uh, as publicist to, to have a chat or TV week reporters or whatever. And um, they repeatedly referred to him as David. And every time he would correct and call him David, they would just call him David again. <laughs> and it's because David is a really lovely, polite guy. But this, uh, this uh, prank went on so well because he just. He just always politely just steered them back to David, but never got angry. Uh, or angry, as he likes angry. to pronounce yeah. it. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyone who's got the last name uh, Cockburn knows what we're talking about, and they've pronounced yeah. it Coburn their entire life. When your name is actually Cockburn, we all, we all see it written down. But I understand also why you don't want your last name pronounced Cockburn. I'm Mr. Cockburn of the famous Burnt Cox. Well, it's a very famous street in Edinburgh, is uh, Coburn Street. And uh, the first time I went to Scotland, I got there a day before Jem. And she said, well, just, you know, the hotel where you're staying, everything's walking distance in Edinburgh. Why don't you go for a walk around? And there's a, you know, there's a really great street. And she told me about Coburn Street. And I completely forgot how it was pronounced and so I was walking around and then I uh, saw the sign for Coburn Street and I went up to one of the Scottish locals and was like is Cockburn Street where all the shops are (laughs) and you know what the good thing about Scots will is they suffer fools gladly yeah they were like you're a bit of a co to be honest with you you should suck my co that's what you should do Um, one of the fu- funniest ones I ever heard was uh, uh, the football commentator James Brayshaw. Now, for Australian mm. listeners, you might know who James Brayshaw is. JB, a famously over-the-top and exuberant yes. football commentator. Yes. Speaks out the corner of his mouth when he gets excited, right? Yes. Like that. For some, no apparent reason. Because his normal speaking voice isn't like that. But when he commentates, it kind of comes out like, yeah, like that, doesn't it? He was taught to commentate on a pirate ship <laughs> by pirates. <laughs> so... Arr. Arr. 
Always refers to his colleagues as Mihatis, which is a weird one as well. Uh, has one hook for a hand, only uh, only commentates out of one eye with an eye patch. Has a parrot on his shoulder and other pirate references. Please, go on. Uh, walks a plank uh, before. <laughs> has, a, has some sort of booty of gold. Did you say wooden leg? He has a wooden leg. Sorry, I haven't gone with wooden leg. Definitely has a wooden leg. Yeah. Illegally downloads videos and distributes them. <laughs> All sorts yeah, of pirates. Once took Tom. Once took Tom Hanks hostage. Uh, so um, I think that uh, he was doing an introduction for the footballer who's a uh, uh, Ivan Soldo, I believe his name is. He's a Richmond yes. ruckman. Richmond ruckman. And he has given him like the sort of introduction you get on one of his radio shows, where if you're being introduced by JB, your introduction is. A little bit about you, but it's mostly about convincing the listeners to JB's show that they have access to the absolute best that yeah, entertainment and sport has to offer as guests. So if you've ever wanted to feel good about your position in the entertainment industry, be a guest on his show because he will identify you as the biggest, brightest, number one star in the entire world. And so he's giving the same approach, a liberal amount of mayonnaise to uh, the career of Ivan Soldo and just talking about how good he is, but of course introduces him as Ivan Soldo, and he's ah, he's right, like he's yeah. taken this run up from the boundary. He's given this guy every compliment you could possibly ring out of the quite unexceptional career that Ivan Soldo has actually had as an AFL footballer, and then he gets to Ivan, and then Ivan just comes on and goes, "It's Ivan, actually." Never has the air been taken out of an introduction more than Big Ivan. I, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it happens to me a lot. Like I've done, you know, uh, you know, interview shows and interviews, radio interviews, where people have referred to me as Charlie Clausen, and I'm never sure what to do. I never correct anyone because, as discussed, Clausen is the correct Danish pronunciation of the name, and I can totally understand that if you read that name, uh, you would see you'd think it was pronounced Clausen. But it is Clausen, and I'm always like, should I be standing up for my interpretation? Because uh, it's it's the almost the reverse David. <laughs> like David is stating, he's standing up for his culture, his Swedish culture. He's saying, no, my parents christened me David. I am a David. Whereas I, you're rejecting your culture, ashamed, ashamed not, of your culture, yeah, I, I, burying your culture deep. No, I, I'm not doing anything. I'm being very neutral. My family were ashamed. I think, I think the honest truth is, during the Second World War, you didn't want a name that was Clausen. It just sounded a little too Germanic. And so uh, it became Clausen. It somehow anglicised over time. Americans seem to get it. Uh, they pronounce it more like I pronounce it more than Australians. Australians tend to lean into Clausen more than Americans. But every time I've been in the States, they always seem to call me a Clausen. I don't know if that's because of the most famous Clausen, of course, Alf Clausen, composer of The Simpsons, uh, or if there's there's a, a, a there's a footballer called Jimmy Clausen who I believe is the the other famous Clausen. I, I think I rank third on the famous Clausen tree. Apart from Denmark. I'm sure there's heaps of famous Clausens in Denmark. I get, um, uh, obviously not a mispronunciation because, you know, Will's hard, pretty hard to mispronounce. Actually, that's not true. I worked, again, uh, for two and a half years with a footballer by the name of Luke Darcy, and he's from Adelaide. And people from Adelaide have a certain, you know, quite proper way of speaking. But it also means often that they pronounce L's as W's. So for two and a half years, he pronounced my name every day as if it started with a W and ended with a W. Like it was a palindrome. He would call me Will. 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 
Will. Yeah. So Will Will. <laughs> so wait a minute. So the hard L is the tongue stays at the front of the mouth. Will Will. And the W Will he opens it up or something? Will Will Will. No, he he, will. he puts his lips together. No, I think he will. Opens and closes it together. Yeah, it's like uh, it's all in the it's all in the lips. <laughs> Which also was disconcerting <laughs> as he puckered towards me every morning. Will will will. It almost is actually. It's almost if you had a speech impediment and you couldn't say L's properly, you'd say it like will will. You know, you can't hit a hard L. You're going will will. I like will. The entire <laughs> I like will. The entire of South Australia has the same speech impediment, though. Well, isn't that what happened so, in Spain with that king who uh, couldn't pronounce his uh, his s's in Barcelona, and that's why they have that kind of is it the Catalan or where they where they lisp? Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. A, a podcast, Mike. Can you look up? Why in Spanish they they lisp the s's? I think it's because there was a king or someone who lisped, and rather than embarrass him, everyone else had to start lisping. I mean, that's true power. There was a famous story about Manica in Canberra, that where they play you know football and cricket quite famously. That's why people might know Manica, but it's spelled Manuka like the honey mm. might be spelled, but it's pronounced Manica. And the the urban legend, I, I'm not actually sure if it's true or not, was that the Queen came out for an event and she pronounced it Monica and then everybody, not to embarrass the Queen, just started also going, yeah, Monica. No, we've been getting it wrong up until this point. You nailed it and now it's Monica. Uh, podcast Mark has done a bit of research. Uh, it's an urban legend, Charlie. It's been discredited by scholars for lack of evidence. Well, lack of evidence doesn't mean it's not true. <laughs> it just means they haven't found the evidence yet. Yeah, exactly. Well, you spent four days... In Byron Bay, and you've really picked up on the way people think up here. <laughs> yes, we should uh, let people know we uh, we were uh, briefly together in the same room the last episode of <laughs> Topop, Topop. <laughs> which is actually how you are meant to pronounce it. We haven't wanted to <laughs> haven't wanted to say anything. This <laughs> embarrassing anyone, time, but it's actually Topop. <laughs> If you noticed a different dynamic with toe pop last week, I mean toe pop sounds like a variation on K-pop. Toe pop, it's some foot foot fetishists and K-pop fans put them together, you get toe pop. I, I'm going to ask you a question. Go on. Do you think yeah. there are more toe pop fans, so people who listen or have listened to this podcast over the years, versus if you were going to come up with the amount of people who love K-pop but would also love k-pop videos that were only feet which of those audiences do you think would be better because i would suspect there are so many k-pop fans that i reckon their audience for toe video recreations of k-pop hits would be more popular than our podcast 100 percent. like you could take the <laughs> the smallest most niche k-pop fan would have a hundred times the the following that we have like my niece got into k-pop when it, well, I assume when it first kicked off, that's when I first became aware of it. When about ten years ago, when she was a teenager, and that was the first time I remember feeling like, oh shit, like a generational shift, because she showed me like her favorite acts and music videos and stuff, and I could not make head nor tail of it. Well, I couldn't understand what I was meant to be enjoying. Was it the music? Because that seemed kind of horrible. Was it the choreography? But it was so confusing. There's like 40 people on stage. Was it the individual personalities? Because they all seemed kind of interchangeable to me. I couldn't quite work out which was which. Which one's the Harry Styles? Which one was the, I don't know, who's another guy in one direction? Liam. <laughs> Liam. You're going <laughs> to... 
Yeah. Speaking of which, you're going to love our bonus episode. We recorded a bonus set, which devolves into a boy band discussion for about 10 or 15 minutes. It's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, K-pop, I, I, I couldn't understand it. And then when I got further into she came up to Sydney, stayed with my other brother who lives up here, um, to go to a K-pop festival. My brother took her there and said it was insane, like Beatlemania times a billion. So if K-pop is it's correct so is it korean pop right yes. is that what k is that what the k, k stands for yeah yes okay so toe pop would actually if we're following the you know same formula yeah would actually be from some country or some region that started with to so it would be tonga. like it's tonga yeah if the country of tonga suddenly started doing their version of k-pop it would be called toe pop toe pop I mean, I think I like the the foot fetish angle of that too because uh, Tongan, uh, you could be in like sandals or barefoot uh, traditionally. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And so you get uh, Quentin Tarantino to direct the music video. I mean, you're going to get all the great yeah. shots of the toes in that one. I mean, that's it, right? With his foot fetish that it is now like out in the open. Like you got Brad Pitt getting awards and making jokes about foot fetish and stuff. It's like, oh, you are a twisted pervert, uh, but we love you. We love you, QT. Well, I think it's actually he's not being kink shamed anymore, mm. right? Well, he kind of still oh no, is he's, he's been kink shamed affectionately, so yeah. But I think now it's been. I would say that initially, maybe it's a little bit embarrassing, and people are kink shaming a little bit, and that's a little bit unfair. But I think now that it's just become so accepted as part of the popular culture and narrative, and there hasn't really been a backlash. There's just an observation of it and an amusement, perhaps about it but there isn't like a whole bunch of people saying quentin tarantino is a terrible person because he is obsessed with people's feet so suddenly this thing that he's had to keep to himself for all these years is out in the open and he can just literally walk the walk and talk the talk he's leaning into it like once upon a time in hollywood it felt like he was answering back to the fact that everyone makes fun of him for being a foot fetishist because there was they were so Normally he's a little more subtle, but these were like very deliberate, very set up shots of dirty feet, clean feet, feet on dashboards, feet going upstairs, all kinds of feet. It was like he was trying to shoot feet from every conceivable angle. If Quentin Tarantino had shot the human centipede, we wouldn't have been disgusted by it because we would have only seen the feet. <laughs> do you do you find, could you understand a foot fetishist? Could you sort of... Go, oh, yeah, I see that. Like, I can sort of see there's something kind of sexy or attractive about a foot. As I've got older, I really am comfortable with the idea that I'm... Like, I think when you're younger, you you define yourself so much by, I like this and, oh, I'd never be into that or whatever. Mm. Whereas as you get older, you just think, oh, there are so many things that people find interesting or attractive or... And who am I to judge? As long as it is consensual and it doesn't hurt anybody else, I don't... I could see every. I'm a bit in that thing now where I remember in my like twenties where your images of what you know other people's bodies are meant to look like are so prescribed by the cultural narrative. Like you know, I remember having a discussion with a really yeah close yeah girlfriend of ours about she had like hair under her arms and how like you know I felt like it was disgusting or like gross or whatever. And as I've got older, I'm like, did I? Because I certainly don't now. So either I've changed. Or at the time, I was just saying what I thought it was appropriate to say because that is the image and popular narrative that we were going through then. But as I'm older, I'm like, nah, whatever. Who cares? Whatever people are into, as long as 
you ask someone and they're also into it and cool with it, then I have no problem with anything. But no, personally, I have never looked at anybody's feet and gone, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I can understand a foot being cute because I think feet can be cute. And there's something kind of gentle and affectionate mm. about holding someone's feet or someone putting their feet on you or giving a foot rub or something like that. I can connect from that level. It is that classic conversation from Pulp Fiction, which is... You know, it is a very intimate act to touch someone's feet and feel someone's feet. So I understand that. But aesthetically, <laughs> they look like those face huggers from Aliens. <laughs> like, I, I, I have never looked at a foot and gone, that is a perfect foot. Like, that person, male or female, has a perfect foot. Like, I wouldn't even know. I, I'd like to get a Actually, if there are any foot fetishists, and this is not, we're not going to kink shame you. I, I, I honestly want to know what makes a good foot. Like, is it about, um, you know, perfect sort of balance and, and, and precision? Like, the toes are all sequentially, like, go up? Or do you need, like, a bigger second toe? Like, what makes a sexy foot? Well, also, is it anything to do with the connection to the person that the foot is on, of right? Course. What's the relationship between you going, hey, I think Margot Robbie is attractive, and then I would like to see pictures of Margot Robbie's feet? Because I don't know one way or the other what her feet look like, but... You'd imagine if you're an actress or a model or any of those people that maybe are traditionally presented in the media as being the most attractive people, your feet would look like a fucking mess because yeah. all you're constantly doing is being jammed into shoes and stuff for oh, yeah. you know runways and red carpets and movies and stuff that are like you'd imagine that they have. Whereas if you're looking for a pristine foot, you know maybe you're looking for someone who's just slipped it into an Ugg boot yeah. every day. You know, it hasn't been damaged by, yeah. you know, some harsh leather or some weird arches. It's just been kept in this pristine enclosure surrounded by, you know, lamb's wool, you know, soaking up uh, every day. I don't know. What's the perfect foot? Well, I think that's a, a great twist you could do on the ugly duckling romantic comedy. Like normally it's the bookish girl with the glasses, you know, who is going to be made prom queen by the end of the week. But what if it was a guy... There's an athlete at the high school, like a male, female athlete, doesn't matter which, but she's a long distance runner. So her feet or his feet get hammered to shit. Like I remember a friend of mine went to university with uh, St. Kilda midfielder Rob Harvey, famous for the amount of ground he would cover in a game. I think on average, like 20 kilometers a game he would run. And she said he would wear like uh, Birkenstock sandals to uni and his feet were the most hideous things she'd ever seen. Just like, just beaten beyond recognition, just lumpy corned up calloused blistered horrible looking thing so i mean it would have had broken toes yeah. and you know archway problems and all those things that come from you know doing your sport so that person is kind of reviled for having the ugliest feet amongst this foot fetish group but one guy chooses to make athlete foot <laughs> athlete's foot the homecoming foot <laughs> all right look this is my first go at it i haven't really thought it out but you could call it athlete's foot couldn't you no <laughs> I mean, I think you could. It, well, it's a classic. I guess the other story that you could reincorporate is the Cinderella Prince Charming. Oh, yes. Because this is literally a woman who loses a shoe at a ball and then this <laughs> prince is just determined to find the foot that goes in that shoe. It might be about the fact that, like, she isn't transformed into some magical person. She just has these perfect feet and he is a... He, his, his kink is perfect feet and that's why he's willing to go on a citywide hunt to find the owner of one shoe because he's been sleeping next to that shoe for all the lonely nights in between can i ask with your feet 
do your toes sequentially descend in like height? So your big toe, second toe, third toe, or does the big toe go higher than the the second toe go higher than the big toe? Um, oh, Will's looking at his feet, everyone at home. <laughs> I am actually looking at my feet for any foot fetish, for any toe pop uh, fans <laughs> who are getting turned on by this. Um, I'm trying to work out that I think. Oh, so on my right. Definitely, they go down in in order, and then on my left, I reckon that the second toe or the first non-big toe is 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 might be just slightly ahead. Is that weird to have different ones? I don't know. I'm going to, have to take off my socks and look at my feet now, <laughs> <laughs> because I know I'm pretty sure. Because I remember being made fun of uh, at school at swimming carnivals and stuff. Because my feet are very sequential in terms of the big one's big and then second one's the next biggest one and, and, and so on and so forth. And everyone was like, no, your second toe's got to be bigger than your first. But no, mine are like perfectly planed toes. From the, the biggest to the littlest, it's like an even gradient. It goes straight down. You could jump a BMX. <laughs> if you read, if read a oh, BMX up my toes. So you're you talking even, even as they go up. I'll hold it up to the oh, camera. Look, no, so, okay. Look, look, oh. look. This is one for the foot fetishes. Oh my God, it's like somebody has rounded out your foot. That is a perfect ramp. That is That's like the sails of the Sydney Opera House. That's what it looks like. That's like a Ken Doan welcome to Australia picture. <laughs> Show me your How foot. I'll hold the camera. This about you. Hold your foot up to the camera. Oh, okay, so I can right. see. Oh, I'm going to. Two hundred ninety-eight episodes, ten years. This is what this is what it has come to. All right, All right hang on. I'm going to. I think I can only put up my right foot. So, hang on. Oh, is that there? Can you see? Uh, a bit higher. A bit higher. Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, no, your second, your second and third toes are actually quite long. Your second toe exceeds your first, and your third toe is about. It's about on par with your with your big yeah. toe. Yeah, right. So I don't know who has. I mean, yeah. So let, it, let us know if you're a foot mine's fetishist. Mine's definitely to this. like my little toe. My little toe is very small. Then <laughs> it goes up a bit, kind of in a natural progression, and then there's a real drop off <laughs> until it gets to the big three. I just imagine podcast Mike who monitors these calls. You know, often we just pump him for information, but I mean. At what point does he sort of look at this and go, what am I doing? <laughs> like he just sees two middle-aged men holding with... up their bare feet to their webcams to show each other their toes. You're much better than this podcast, Mike. If you wanted to leave, I'd completely understand. You've got bigger fish to fry. Oh, podcast Mike um, says oh. his feet are the same as mine. Prove it. <laughs> Hold him up to the camera. <laughs> Hold him up to the camera. Put your camera back on. We want to see your feet as well. You know there is some foot. No, he says no, which is fair enough. <laughs> Technically, he's our employee, and I'm not sure that we can make him do that sort of stuff. I mean, can you get sued for harassment if you ask to see someone's feet? Because it depends about context, right? Yes, like if I'm not a foot, I think so. If I'm not a foot fetishist, though, and I want to see your feet, I can't. I'm going to think of the context in which it, in which it's not creepy. Like, um, here's I'll give you a scenario in which. Uh, I run a, like a, I'm a carpenter. Um, we've just put floorboards in a new house, like hardwood floorboards, and we've lacquered them. And then I've come in to check the next day and I see footprints in the house. And I know it's one of my apprentices. I had three apprentices there. And so I say to them, 
one of you walked through the bloody house and ruined the, the, the lacquering. Take your shoes off. We're going we're gonna to work out who it is. That's a non-creepy way to ask to see someone's feet, isn't it? If you're trying to solve a crime, I'm fine with <laughs> being able to see someone's feet. I'm just saying you can't just go, oh, that lacquer looks pretty smooth. Hey, uh, Charlie, why don't you uh, slip off your work boots and uh, take down those thick bamboo work socks and maybe just uh, slowly walk on that new lacquered floor. You'd have to prove that it wasn't... I'd like, you, you, if it came up and somebody said it was, you know, you'd have to prove that it didn't turn you on. I would have, you'd yes. have to get, uh, you know, you in a room but, with a whole bunch of, you know, feet and, and see if it, you started to sweat or get excited. But that's how, that's how people generally do, like dirty perverts do set up things like that by saying, oh, this is an official, like I need to check your underpants or whatever. <laughs> that's the first thing that came to my mind, like... So you would probably say there's been a crime, I need to check your feet. Like, so I don't know that I would get away, even if it, a crime had been committed, I don't know if it's appropriate to look at someone's feet. I mean, if, if you're someone, if feet are as attractive to you or as sexual to you as like an exposed breast is to me, then it's all about the context, right? It's all about the, who's asking the question. Someone wants to see my feet, who's asking? That's what I would say. Well, okay. Well, someone unwantedly, you know, using any part of your body, like in a sexualization way that made you feel uncomfortable that you were aware of, probably is inappropriate. But if somebody's well, just looking at your feet and there's no sort of, you don't know that they're secretly getting off on it, it's, I, I don't know. That's complicated. That's if a, complicated a policeman question. If a if a policeman pulled you over and said, get out of the car and drop your dax, you might be inclined to be like, excuse me, absolutely not. What's this about? Blah, 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 blah. But if I got out of the car and a policeman said, take off your shoes, I would be more inclined to be like, well, yeah, I've got nothing to hide. I'll take off my shoes. So I think it really does. It would just sort of depend, right? I mean, I don't know that that, maybe that cop is getting me out to sexually <laughs> harass me because he wants to see my feet and I've just walked straight into it. Literally walks well, straight into it. Possibly we feel more personal shame that, you know, our genitals and stuff should be covered. Whereas we don't feel as much shame about, you know, you, that your feet should be uncovered. I mean, I live in an area of Australia where people rock barefoot at the shops, you know, around town, not just at the beach. And people seem to be absolutely fine with it in the way that you probably wouldn't be fine if people rocked up to the supermarket with no pants on. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, it's all about social acceptability, isn't it? Like we've decided as a society that bare feet is right on the edge, shirtless, right on the edge, balls, n out of the question. Balls and penis out of the question. Well, I guess also, you know, in the cop scenario, it would have to do with which you are most ashamed of. So if I had like yeah. a very impressive, you know, that scrotum, <laughs> but really horrible looking feet then maybe I'd be like yes I can take my pants off but I'm keeping my shoes on I mean buttocks seem to be readily acceptable now like I see often people walking up from the beach past the shops in g-strings that, that 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 doesn't that's not that's a that's passe now I'd say buttocks so I think the last frontier is genitals but if you're a foot fetishist you you've you've been in hog heaven this whole time all these barefoot I, people walking around Byron Bay I mean isn't the bikini such a classic example of how there is such a fine line between, you know, what we deem as being inappropriate versus what is appropriate? Because we've just decided now 
it's the nipple. If your nipple's still in, you're technically wearing a top, right? But only the female nipple. The male nipple, I mean, that's the whole free the nipple movement, isn't it? About the disparity, about yeah. the fact that guys can happily, you know, you know work, walk around shirtless and nobody really has a problem with it. But if women did the same thing, suddenly it would seem to be a sexualized thing. It just proves how we've just made that up. Like there's nothing really mm. about that that makes any sense because the idea that like, you know, it's still appropriate if you're just covering the nipple. Why is that any different to if the nipple was out or otherwise? Yeah, like if 80% of the breast is showing but just the nipple is covered, why is that? How is that somehow more demure? It's like if, you know, to use the foot example, if you just covered your big toe and the rest of your foot was naked but you just wore a little sock on the big toe, you're like, for modesty. Gemma, um, when Gemma used to do her art, she used to do these amazing kind of giant charcoal drawings and she did a lot of female nudes and... um. She had a, a, they were up in a gallery for a, for a while. And uh, I remember I was working there just selling them one day. And a dude came in and they're really big pieces. Like, you know, you've got, I think you've got a couple, don't you? Or at least you've got one of her, one of her pieces. Yep. And um, a dude came in and he was like really enthusiastic about one of the pieces. And he was great. And, you know, he's just renovated his house and he wanted to get it. Um, but he had a young daughter. So would the artist mind? Just uh, removing the nipples, and then he'd, he'd buy it on the spot. <laughs> and I was like, first of all, you don't ask an artist to do that. And second of all, but she's still naked. I mean, it's still, A, it's not a photo, it's a drawing, and she's still naked. Like, you take the nipples off, What? who are you protecting? What are you protecting your daughter from with that? It's like going, uh, you know, saying, look, we love the Mona Lisa, but could you give her a smile? Could you just give her a smile? That's all I ask. Hey, sis, why don't you smile? Well, You're pretty if you smile. But having said that, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say when they put nipples on the bat suit, it didn't strike me as like, oh, like that is, that is odd. All of a sudden, like you see nipples on the bat suit. Well, that makes no sense though, because that's just an external nipple. Like that, there's no reason for that nipple to be there. I mean, you could argue there's not much reason for the male nipples to be there either. But Well, there's no reason like, for a man to be wearing a bat suit. So why does it matter if he has nipples or not? I mean, the whole thing is... Completely insane. Well, I guess it's meant to disorient criminals, <laughs> technically, isn't it? So I, I want to rob this bank, but I can't stop staring hey, at his nipples. Why does he have nipples on his suit? That is going to get them stopping thinking about the crime and starting thinking about that. So I guess you've got the tactical advantage from that. In fact, I would go a step further if I was Batman. I would have a little bottle, uh, little um, uh, button that I could press on the bat suit, and a bat scrotum would drop out. Because imagine if you were <laughs> in a nuts. fight. And just suddenly, <laughs> the bat suit has just a massive set of like toe bar style testicles. Uh, so, if <laughs> Batman, one of the reasons toe bar, by the way, also being how a foot fetishist describes their erection. <laughs> so, if you if you had a you know like Barbie dolls, right? And they, if you took a Barbie doll, if you, if you took the clothes of a Barbie doll and it had nipples, would you think, what's the point of that? Like, why does, why does a little girl not to be playing with a doll that has, that's high beaming? But little girls have nipples. So wouldn't so, it con like almost confuse them more if like underneath, you know, Barbie's clothes, she would, didn't have like nip nipples? I mean, I guess you, it is still a step to have like, I mean, anything from the waist down is still pretty confronting to a yeah. child. <laughs> like, 
I'm not sure you want Ken to, you know, be in plastic proportion. I feel like that that's still a step too far for me. But I mean, if you are a free the nipple advocate, I wonder if you would sort of extend it to kind of children's toys because if you're going to normalize it and like hey we all have them and and you know women have them girls have them then do you then apply that to cartoon characters and toys and that kind of stuff to sort of make it so it's not like this taboo thing or does it just make it confusing yeah absolutely and and that's actually what i'm going to do that's going to be my new career now that uh, stand-up comedy isn't a thing i can do i'm going to make very progressive modern takes on traditional uh, children's toys uh, in my new business, Mr. Potato Cock. (laughs) (laughs) How many, um, do horses have nipples? Do horses have nipples? Uh, Podcast Mike, can you Google do horses have nipples? Like I assume, like I'm I'm guessing that they have nipples like a dog, right? Like they'd have six nipples that the baby horses come and suckle from? I assume so, like a cow, right? But I don't actually know what the answer to that is. Oh, yeah, right. But they don't have an udder. Yeah, can you just look up um, mare, a mare's nipples? Not mare, M-A-Y-O. Although, if any of those come up as well. Like, we'd like to see any mare who's <laughs> exposed their nipples on the internet. I, gu- I guarantee Darren Lyons has definitely exposed his nipples. <laughs> They're probably fake. Former Lord Mayor of Geelong, Darren Lyons. And if people don't know who that is, do yourself a favour. Go to the internet right now and Google a picture of his uh, uh, six-pack. He's, he's surgically enhanced six-pack. I did a parade with Darren Lyons. Uh, a motorcade with him. Um, it was a, I can't remember what it's called. It's a town just outside of Geelong. They have an international uh, a food fair and uh, they had a parade through the town. And uh, I got to hang out with Darren Lyons and his his wife for a day. He's an interesting fellow. <laughs> like, it's, you, you, you understand, like when you see uh, someone like that and someone like Donald Trump, you're like, oh, there are some people who just apply the popularity contest to politics and sometimes they're laughed out, but then sometimes it bloody works. <laughs> sometimes you just need enough people to buy into whatever you're selling and it works and you get in there and then what the fuck do you do? So male horses do not have nipples. This is what we've found out so far. Do female horses have nipples? This is what we want to know, Mark. This I'm surprised he Googled the, the, the male one. All right, here we go. The evolutionary reason for this seems to be because the female teat is located behind her hind legs. Did you know that? Tofop has taught me something today. To- pof- what do we call it? Topop has taught me something today I did not know. So female horses, their teat is behind her hind legs. That's extraordinary to me. Can you uh, see if you can find a photo of a, of a um, what's a baby horse called? A colt? No. A foal? A foal. A foal suckling at its mother's leg. I mean, if it's behind the hind leg, that means it's just below the... Is it teat <laughs> or taint? Have we just looked up the wrong thing? Because it feels like... All right, here we go. Oh, no. It's in front... Right. Well, okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that makes... Oh. Well, it's very... Yeah, okay. So it's sort of between the thigh and the, and the abdomen of the horse, I guess. Just below the belly, it looks like. I thought it was behind the leg, but uh, yeah, right. That that seems like a good place to have a nipple. <laughs> He's found two photos of it. Yeah, great. Okay, save those for later. Now, Will, um, we were talking when I was up in Byron. We were chatting about the fact that uh, Ed Solomon, screenwriter Ed Solomon, uh, creator of Bill and Ted and the Men in Black, uh, first Men in Black film, writer, uh, is following us on Twitter. Um, 
And I thought, seeing as we've both seen the trailer for Bill and Ted's 3, that we could speculate on what we think, what we would like to see happen in this film. Good. Uh, okay. Well, firstly, how, how fun was it when we both discovered that? Because Bill and Ted's is one of those movies that we both have incredible affection for and we've spoken about a lot on this podcast over the years. And it genuinely is one of these movies where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that there's going to be another one. And uh, I'd been, you know, reading a lot of the stuff that Ed retweeted. There's been some really cool videos about how they came up with the characters in the first place and what the evolution of them were. And the it's been really fascinating from a writing perspective just to see these movies that I remember as being so you know, fantastic and feel like they're exactly how they were conceived actually weren't how they were conceived at all. They went through many iterations to get to the place that they are right now, which that in itself, I love learning about their writing process and how they got to the place they got to. And I think it's why those movies do feel so great is because they went through a whole bunch of different versions until they found what exactly worked. And it was the same with the sequel. There was a whole bunch of reasons the sequel eventually became uh you know originally was going to be called bill and ted go to hell i think go to hell yeah but the way they got to bogus journey and then to see the trailer for face the music that's what it's called right face the music um i was genuinely excited because it feels like it's an interesting idea well there's certain reboots or sequels that you're like like the Dumb and Dumber one they did where they dusted the guys off and they put them in the same costumes and they brought them out and they're like, hey, you guys remember this? And it's kind of just fucking depressing. It's like seeing Kiss. And you're like, oh my God, you guys are just in the same outfits and you're doing the same fucking shit. Like in real life, people age and their attitudes change. And, you know, I understand that the characters have to still occupy the essence, but it feels like in this trailer that, you know, they are, they're not just coming out and pretending to be teenagers again. They're middle-aged guys who are losers, who never achieved what they wanted to achieve. It's like when we talked about Train Spotting 2 last week or the week before. It's like the beautiful thing about Train Spotting 2 is it's such a beautiful examination of middle age. The idea of being young and full of all this energy. And, you know, you were saying earlier in this podcast that, you know, you define yourself by what you'd love and what you hate and all these kind of things. And then you just get to your middle age and it's like, oh, my God, am I just waiting to die <laughs> Like, all my ambition, the stuff that I wanted to achieve didn't happen. So now I have to be kind of happy with this. But if I'm not happy with this, do I try or am I going to embarrass myself if I, if I go for it? <clears throat> and what I like about this is the idea that these were guys who were meant to change the world and it hasn't happened yet. So what happens now? Now, hang on. Are you talking about Bill and Ted or is this your tribute to 10 years of Tofov? <laughs> I can. I, that's probably why I can identify with it. Um, I, it looks like, and again, we're speculating based on the trailer, but it looks like, you know, the, I, I love this idea that the promise that they were told, you know, what if you got told that you were the guys who were going to write the song that would unite the universe, right? Because that's yeah. kind of the premise, right? The Wild Stallions yeah. are going to write this one song and that, you know, connects everybody and everything's going to be okay about it. And if you got told that that was your future... And then that didn't happen. How do you deal with the consequences of the thing that you'd been promised and told that would define you never actually happening? And then it gets, I think, you know, where it gets interesting to me, you know, when you're thinking about how this story might come together. And I think 
I hope from the way that I've seen Ed Solomon yeah, speak on Twitter, I think this is sort of the process that those guys went through as well, which was then how do you, what sort of person do you become? And it toys mm. with that idea of, would you even want to know what your future is? Because <laughs> does knowing what your future is prevent you from actually achieving what your future is meant to be? So I think there's so many cool themes to play with. And it looks to me like that's, at least from the trailer, that seems to be the starting point of where they're going to tell this story. And the great thing about having time travel is the sort of central conceit of your film is unlike Dumb and Dumber 2 or any of these other kind of reboots or whatever, it allows you to revisit the earlier films and the reasons you love the earlier films for a good reason. Like they're actually built into the main body of the story rather than just like a kind of fan service, you know, hey, you remember this line? You remember this bit? Well, no, they can sort of go back and I'm like, I don't know if this is the plot. I don't know anything about the film. I'm going to do a Gatesy and try and not, not learn anything about this film before I see it. Because I think I, I, want to enjoy, I want to enjoy it. I want to at least give it a shot. I, I get excited about these kind of things and then I'm always disappointed. But this time I'm just not going to, just going to stay away from trailers and stuff and, 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 and speculation about the plot. We can speculate. That's fine. I will. We're oh. going to, yeah. I, I will say one thing. Okay. Because I don't know anything about the plot either. Okay, but good. I did see that Kevin Smith saw it. And Kevin Smith loved it, but you know that's no guarantee it's going to be good because every time Kevin Smith gets a preview to something, he'll tell you that he loves it. And a few of those movies have been terrible. But the thing that he said that I thought was worth keeping in mind is that Bill and Ted's are family movies. Yeah, they were always that was that was the appeal of them. Mm. They're not R-rated, Stone Bob style comedies. Yeah, these are family movies and I think that this one is also going to be a family movie and I wasn't disappointed to hear that I was actually pleased to hear that because I was like I don't want to see Bill and Ted suddenly be these sort of edgier versions of who they are part of the appeal of it and this is isn't your dad's Bill and Ted this is the modern <laughs> Bill and Ted this is a jaded Bill and Ted I mean we saw that. Like, that's the brilliant of Bogus. See, Bogus Journey is my favorite one. I, I, I think Excellent Adventure is great, but I love how just loose and imaginative they are with Bogus Journey. I agree. And the evil, the evil Bill and Ted, they are the stoner Bill and Ted. They are, you know, what uh, the misconception of what Bill and Ted are. Bill and Ted are sweet, sweet characters. Yeah. They're kind of like uh, 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 babes in the woods, fish out of water. That's the kind of joy is they have this very hopeful, naive attitude towards everything and that's what you want to see and so it wouldn't make any sense to have them more cynical what you could do is because now that they've opened up the door to alternate dimensions that's what i think you know you'll see in this film is like this is the timeline where you became this or this is the timeline where you became that and i like the idea of just going these guys are old there's no point in them playing anything but being old and Time travel is at the heart of this franchise. It's not just something we've introduced, you know, for the third one. Yeah. It's been intrinsic to the plot. The idea of them writing this song was a consistent theme through the movies and then the idea that they haven't written the song. It's just such a great, if you're talking about a three-beat, you know, set-up, set-up punchline, the idea that you're taking something that is a core premise of the original movies and then twisting it for the third movie is... I just think there's so much good stuff to work with there. I'm ex I genuinely am excited about it. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I don't know. Is it the same director as the first one? Has has Ed Solomon written about that? You know what? I if I, he probably has, but I I don't remember. Yeah. Well, Ed, uh, if you're listening to this show, we're big fans. <laughs> I don't know how you started following us. I think 
My suspicion is it's all the uh, the Keanu art. We went through a, a Keanu, the Keanu, Keanu essence. What did we call it? The Keanu essence. Mm. Um, uh, we, we had about three or four episodes in a row that was a lot of uh, Keanu artwork. So I'm assuming someone sent that to him. Or I've seen him interact with Dave Anthony online. Uh, so I'm assuming that maybe Dave, maybe, you know, following Dave and Dave follows us or something like that. It's led him to us. But whatever. Ed, Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the Topopiverse. Uh, and we're very excited about your movie. Uh, Podcast Mike said, no, it's not the same director as the original ones. Okay, cool, okay. cool. Hey, do you want to get to some mail, Will? Yes, let's do it. This is from John. Subject is Patreon. Hi, Will and Charlie. I'm trying to subscribe to the Patreon and is saying I have to pay in US dollars. I'm a dinosaur when it comes to computers. Can I pay in Australian dollars? And if not, are there extra charges for the exchange, et cetera, et cetera, regards John Gorry? Um, that's a good question. John, I actually don't have the answer to that. Yes, it is in US dollars. I do know that. So that is probably uh, worth uh, letting everyone know. Um, thank you, by the way, to everyone who's supporting us on Patreon. Not just this show, but Velocity, the Patreon there, is going crazy as well. And it's really enabling us to do more stuff and um, get more content out there. And so if you did want to support us, the best way to do that is to go to tofop.com slash... Uh, patreon.com slash dofop or patreon.com slash philosophy um if you're not sure what patreon is it's basically crowdfunding so you can donate an amount uh, that'll be deducted from your account every month so that can be a dollar it can be up to however much money you feel comfortable spending and that just means that um uh the show uh can keep running we can keep paying podcast mark to look at our feet on webcam we can keep passing paying james fosdyke to do keanu artwork that attracts the attention of famous hollywood screenwriters uh, but it is in US dollars, so just be aware. Whatever the exchange rate is at the moment, um, that will that will that will be what you're getting charged. If, if it's seventy cents, it'll be you know your extra thirty percent. And uh, I, I would say it's an incredible time because we don't have any other income, and a lot of the advertisers have dropped off, and all these sort of things as well. Um, we've got a new website that's going to be launched really soon, and a lot of your mm. Patreon money is obviously gone to be us being able to put together this really cool new website and it's going to be it's actually going to be a really fantastic hub for all the shows that we do but also it may well end up being the place where the best link to some of the old episodes are going to be because uh some people might have noticed if you're a tofop or a fofop listener that there are early episodes of those podcasts that are no longer up on uh, itunes they have a cutoff on the amount of episodes and so we're exploring at the moment how if you want to access those old episodes, don't get me wrong, there's some of those early episodes, Charlie and I are happy to walk to the ocean and then throw, uh, then tie something heavy around and then sink to the bottom of the ocean. But uh, at the moment, Apple is doing that job for us. So your support to the Patreon obviously helps us pay for the archives and all those things as well. Tony writes in, hey, Tofop. Hey, Will and Charlie. I'm a long time listener. I think I discovered you around episode five and have been there ever since. Well, it sounds like Tony got in early and he wasn't too thrown by what he heard. In fact, he's still here. Um, recent bin-related anecdotes and discussion of a possible bin t-shirt triggered a memory for me of an 80s game show back in the UK, but I thought maybe it's worth a look. From memory, it was called 321 and features a character called Dusty Bin. The host was called Ted Rogers, a real old school TV host. And he would introduce the name of the show, three, two, one, showing three fingers, then spinning his hand to two fingers, then spinning his hand back again to one finger. I was tempted to do a YouTube deep dive, but thought it might be fun to let you guys do it and find out what you come up with at the same time. Thanks for all the years and the laughs and the content. All the best during isolation, Tony. Um, okay, Michael, can you look up, what's it called? Three, two, one. 
Dusty Bin uh, or Ted Rogers. Just give that a bit of a Google and see if you can find a Wikipedia entry. Meanwhile, we'll go to our next letter. This is from uh, Robbie. Uh, the subject is the presidents of the United States of America. Hey, Tofop, I love the discussion on 90s music in the last episode. Can confirm that the presidents of the United States of America are awesome live. I saw them at New, uh, University of New South Wales a few years back. Charlie, if you're not aware, their lead singer, Chris Ballew, has a side project called Casper Baby Pants. <laughs> so, sounds like Chris is into fairly uh, annoying names for a band. Casper <laughs> Baby Pants. And he's put out some pretty cool albums of Beatles covers for kids, and he sent us a link to that. Um, by the way, Regurgitator has also turned their hand into some kids' music of late. Uh, it's maybe some good tunes for Iona, perhaps. Anyway, love the show, guys. Keep it up. Robbie. Iona likes, she likes listening to um, actual metal. I put on some heavy metal the other day. Uh, Iron Maiden. Because a lot of heavy metal has kind of like, especially the old school 70s metal, it's all like... Sorry, what, what, we should, what we should say officially, considering the subject matter previously on this podcast, say it again. What was the band? Iron Maiden. Excellent. <laughs> it's a Bill and Ted's reference. <laughs> I'm totally metal, dude. Uh, the, or heavy metal music, it, when you listen to the lyrics, it's all about dragons and sailing like galleons and all this kind of stuff. It sounds like a nursery rhyme anyway. And it's all quite melodic and stuff. She's very much into her metal. Um, okay, so Mike Hal. <laughs> Has sent us a photo of uh, 321 with Michael, not Michael. Oh, you've, you've, damn it. Like you've done it again. <laughs> I've done it again. You've used the wrong pronouns oh, for God. our producer. <laughs> you've called your new girlfriend by your old girlfriend's name. Oh, God, that's so embarrassing. Our podcast, Mike, has sent us a link to Dusty Bin. So this is uh, this looks vaguely familiar to me. Do you recognize Dusty Bin? I don't. I really don't. It's actually quite terrifying to me because it is. It's an old school guy in a sort of, you know, blue jacket so old school tv and it really looks like the sort of photo you might see if that bin's grown up and just done an interview with oprah about the fact that that tv <laughs> presenter touched him for years because i mean isn't that the worst thing i had exactly the same instinct looking at that photo i was like i don't know who that guy is but i wonder if he's a pedophile <laughs> like it just looks like a pedophile i mean i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna elon musk him well a binophile i think that his kink was sticking his dick in bins like all right so uh podcast mike podcast mike podcast mike they sent us a link to 321 321 was a british game show uh it ran for 10 years between 1978 and 1988 it was based on a spanish game show called un dos tres responda otra vez and was a trio of three shows in one <laughs> so it was a quiz show a variety show and a game show the show was a huge success, consistently pulling in large ratings. The first series, though, was intended as a summer filler, attracted up to 16.5 million viewers. Fuck, can you imagine if a show today wow. got 16.5 million viewers? <laughs> that, that's insane. You just forgot mm. how big television was. I have a very successful TV show, but if we in our 10 episodes of every season, we get about that many viewers. <laughs> Like in an entire season of shows, but apparently this garbage bin were like dominating. <laughs> when I was on Home and Away, a good episode, like well, they were happy with it if it was over a million, that was like a good night yeah. for them. And then I checked the ratings the other day and it's like a good night for them is now like 
Half a million, 600,000 is considered like good. They've got to get a sentient garbage bin to move into Summer <laughs> Bay. That's, that's the trick. The final Christmas special was broadcast on December 24th, 1988. It attracted 12.5 million viewers. Cancel it. Only 12.5 million. Bullshit. Cancel it. Um, Ted Rogers claimed in an interview in 1996 that the Oxbridge lot got control of TV and they didn't really want it. It was too down market for them. We were still getting 12 million viewers when they took it off after 10 years. These days, if a show gets 9 million viewers, everyone does a lap of honour. He said that in 96. I mean, I don't know if he's still alive, but he might be rolling in his grave if he is, in fact, still living. (laughs) Okay. So the overall objective of the game was to survive elimination through three parts of the show and try and unravel a series of cryptic clues in order to win the star prize. This sounds like a kind of show you'd like, Will. You like your bloody game shows and your strategy shows and all that kind of stuff, and you especially love anthropomorphized bins. I mean, what if, what if I love this so much that I decide I'm going to reboot it, but you have to play the bin? Because no one has thought more about what it's like to be a bin, and you are looking for acting work. If I came to you and I said, look, one of the networks is coming to us. They want to do a reboot of 321. Will's going to be the host, but we want you to play the bin. Would you be up for that? Yeah, but I want it to be like a dark, gritty reboot of, uh, of, what's his name? Dusty Bin. (laughs) Dusty Bin. Like Dusty Bin has, uh, he's sick and tired of people dumping rubbish in him. (laughs) That isn't his owner, and anytime someone comes, he's got a he's got a short fuse. In fact, maybe he's had some substance abuse problems because people keep dumping alcohol, needles go into him all the time. He's like been in and out of bin rehab. It just give him some edge. And since people have been composting, he's getting no fresh fruit and vegetables. He's getting no actual good nutrients. <laughs> I should say, actually, uh, I've just I was just up in the Northern Rivers uh, visiting uh, you and Amy and, and other friends and just having a bit of a holiday, and our accommodation. Um, we had this apartment in Brunswick Heads. And when I did the big cleanup, I went out because uh, there's like four apartments in this building and there was no recycle bin marked for my unit. There was just none. And I was like, shit, what do I do? And here's where I'm a hypocrite, Will. Here's where the tables were turned. I dumped my recyclables in someone else's bin and fucking got the fuck out of there. I really like it. It... It really was something I wrestled with. I actually took the rubbish back up and I was like, can I leave it in the Airbnb for them to dispose of? Because I could argue, well, there's no bin to put them anywhere. But in the end, I was like, no, I'm just going to... It wasn't a lot of stuff. The bins were empty because it had just been collected. It was a fresh bin. And I figured, well, you know, it's just some kind of wrappers and things like that. Just a little, some minimal recyclables. But I became what I loathe. It's what you do. You either die a hero, Will, or live long enough to dump in someone else's bin. Well, here's the thing. You're on holidays. You know what you do on holidays. Sometimes you just, you know, you go to bed much later than you go to bed. You eat some food you wouldn't normally eat when you're at home. And you know what? You're on holidays. You put some rubbish in some other people's bins. <laughs> um, all right. We may have to get to this another to another time. Maybe we'll, we'll save one, two, three, because uh, my wife is texting me. I need to get down to the living room. I assume it's a baby emergency. Uh, thank you to everyone listening for the show. Uh, we should tell people that there's a bonus episode. If you are uh, listening to this one, guess what? There's a little bonus episode uh, we recorded actually prior to this one. Yeah, which it also may have come out prior to this one, depending on, because we're recording this yeah. one on a Tuesday, and so we might not be able to turn it around for Wednesday, but you will be hearing one on Thursday, July the 2nd, because that is... 10-year anniversary since the uh, first episode of TOEFOP was uh, published. So we thought we should at least uh, do something for that. So there's a sort of half an hour bonus episode where we look back 
at simpler times when we started doing this podcast a decade ago. But um, if you if you haven't heard that one yet, I think you know we'd love to just say thank you again to everybody who's been involved in um, you know supporting this podcast over the years and meaning that we could have this conversation uh, for the last decade. Which is, I mean, it's it's <laughs> ridiculous. ridiculous when you think about it, isn't it? That we. <laughs> have kept doing this. I know, what is wrong with this? And not even just this, we have a, an AFL podcast that we do as well. We did some of it in this podcast today. In fact, we referred to AFL three times in this podcast today and then talked about other things. So it's pretty much an episode of Two Guys, One Cup. <laughs> Which you can find on twofop.com as well. Uh, is a new episode of Philosophy out, Will? Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, when people are hearing this, Alice Fraser will be up. But if you haven't heard the Kurt Fernley one from last week, I do highly recommend that. Kurt is a an Australian legend and Alice Fraser is an absolute cracker episode as well. So some good ones uh, coming up plenty in the back catalog of philosophy. And there are some faux fop episodes. I am currently stuck on episode 299 of faux fop, but I've been waiting until we get closer. Cause I think this is 298 of toe fop. And so yeah. I'm holding off on doing the 300th episode until we get to the 300th episode of this as well. So they will both drop in a couple of weeks. I appreciate it. So we can cross the finish line together. One is not better than the other. We are both champions. <laughs> exactly. That's what, you, uh, you know, like uh, when somebody falls in a race and yeah. then another guy just goes back and puts his arm around and just helps them limp across the line. <laughs> well, we're both limping. We both <laughs> fell over. We crashed into each other and then we got up and the only way I could get across the line was together uh, and also don't forget to check out Redbubble to get your Tofop merch uh, James Fosdark's great t-shirt designs mugs posters curtains shower curtains other stuff is at redbubble.com slash people slash Mr Foz podcast Mike will put a link in the episode description I'm Charlie Clawson Marvin Anderson <laughs> This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.